Hello, hello. Mr. Fisher. What's going on, man? Uh, all I know is that the Knicks are playing great, and this is the last one of these things you're ever going to do. So I think the only conclusion I could draw is that the universe is not prepared to handle the Knicks being very good, and everything is starting to fall apart around us. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think, you know, we'll see about the garden and if the building stands are, I mean, then, then we'll really, uh, we'll really understand what's happening here. But I mean, I, I have not thought they were a legitimate team. We talked about this last time we were yep. on the show, talked about this with Fred Katz and with others. I, I was expecting this to just be a typical plucky, you know, six, seven, eight seed. And I mean, I'm watching this game last night. I texted you last night to set this up because um, I'm sitting here thinking, man, the Knicks are fucking awesome. <laughs> like, they just are. Um, it's funny because, you know, talk about uh, history repeating itself, or at least I was worried it was going to repeat itself because when we last spoke, uh, it was January 16th, and the Knicks were coming off winning um, seven of eight games, and we had set this up, um, I think, when they were – coming off the, the seventh of those eight wins. And prior to that, you know, there was a five-game losing streak. and But before that, they had won um, eight straight. So, like, things were really looking good. And then we spoke after that Toronto game, a tough overtime loss, you know, with the Barrett dunk and everything. And that started um, kind of a stretch where – I, I, I'm not going to lie, I thought of your words a few times over those next couple of weeks when you were like, yeah, I'm not really sure if this is real because they went on to lose, uh, starting with that Toronto game, they went on to lose uh, six of eight, um, culminating in a, a loss to the Lakers at the Garden that had fans after the game telling me, fire, fire tips, trade Randall. You know, it was a, a bad play at the end of regulation. They lost in overtime, the whole thing. And since then, they've kind of been the best team in the NBA. And we're talking about a stretch of five weeks. So, man, I, I don't know if this isn't real. I mean, they're doing a great job of disguising it. That's that's what I will say. <laughs> I mean, the Hawks fired Nate McMillan February 21st. Yeah. So that is basically two weeks ago. Um, and at that point in time, Whenever the first domino falls of any type of marketplace, whether that's a front office executive being fired, um, a head coach being fired, you know, a first, any first thing, any first domino that falls, people around the league are always itching um, to. Um, sorry, I'm reading. No, it's okay. They're, they're always itching. They're always itching to figure out what the next one's going to be. And when Quinn Snyder or when Nate McMillan got fired, people were starting to think about all right, who are the other situations that could, you know, become available in the coaching market this summer. And Tibbs was definitely a name still being thrown around there. Not saying that his job is in jeopardy in the spirit of the show. <laughs> and I will uh I'll I'll make a preamble about the last show in a second. Um, 
his name was definitely in the rumor mill of people of the pariahs that are looking to find potential landing spots for themselves or their friends or, you know, agents looking to find openings to place their clients. Um, And I would think that all that type of smoke would, would dissipate now after where they stand here. Of course, the playoffs will be, I mean, if if the Knicks don't get out of the first round and get swept or, you know, have a pretty clean ouster just like they did to Atlanta a couple of years ago, I think, you know, there'll be plenty of opportunity to have conversations again about what should be happening uh, atop of New York's organizational chart on the bench, on the roster. Um, but for now, I mean, this team is moving all in one direction. Um, and we'll get more to the Knicks in a second here. I just want to say, um, yeah, tonight will be the last live show of this pod. Um, it will go out on Apple and Spotify and publish on the call and app um, as normal. Um, but yeah, this will be the last one. Um, I was hoping to have a, a larger audience in here. So if you're in here and got some friends who are fans of the show, tell them to come on through. Um, but this has been great. It's been a really fun ride. I've loved this live audio medium dating back to my days at the halftime app. Um, and it's been great taking listener questions. We've got a few in the queue here. Um, I can't really say too, too much as to why things are coming to a close. Um, but I will say that um, it was just time for the call-in relationship to that, that chapter to come to an end. I do have another uh, audio venture that is in the works that um, will be fun to work on. And I'm excited to share about in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, happy to have Jonathan Macri here now and, uh, we're happy to talk some Knicks. So I'll take, we'll just jump into listener questions because this is the last time, this is the last time we can do it. And Jonathan's obviously ready and able to talk anything. So we're bringing on Matt. What's going on, Matt? Un- unmute yourself, Matt. If you, Matt, you there? I see Matt, but he's muted, unfortunately. All right, Matt, we're gonna go to Joseph. Um, oh. Joseph, are you there? Joseph's still on mute as well. Everybody's everybody's too. Uh... Too intimidated to speak up on this last on this momentous occasion. I think that's what it is. Joseph, going once, going twice. All right, we're going to Jimbo. Jimbo, regular caller. Can Jimbo, you hear me? What's up? Yeah, we can hear you, Joseph. Yeah, can we you can hear you, Jimbo. What um, what are your thoughts on? Quickly, and why was he? Uh, why was he almost traded a couple weeks ago? That guy clearly has some <laughs> ball in him. So, I think the 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 trade chatter about Emmanuel quickly. I think the Knicks were clearly looking at ways to vastly improve the team, and he's probably outside of. Um, I mean, no, not outside of. 
he's probably the best like blue chip prospect and the best like asset the Knicks have in their trade chest. That's not, you know, an undetermined first round pick um, who's still on his rookie deal, who's young, still has upside to, to improve upon, but is up for a contract extension. And I think, you know, a lot of teams when they start to figure out what the future of a player is, in terms of money on their books, like they want to get a good sense of how the league looks at him before they commit to themselves um, or commit to their present situation. And I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what his contract structure will look like at all right now. I think, I think the jury is still out on that and it's way too early to have any real sense. I mean, he's, he's up for a five year, $195 million max. That ain't happening. <laughs> But will he be able to look at other point guards in the $15 million range and up, like Tyus Jones being, um, you know, the top-tier backup point guard pretty much in the league at $15 million? I mean, if I'm his agent, that's the starting – I mean, that's like the, the bottom tier that I'm, that I'm willing to accept at this structure – or at this juncture, excuse me. But I haven't done enough – Intel calls or really thought process to figure out exactly what that number will be. But I said that to say, I think a lot of the early ch- chatter with him, because that was mostly in like December, January was when the Knicks were really starting to figure out what their board looked like in terms of avenues to get better. And I mean, come late January, the dude was, I mean, quickly was not involved in any trade conversation that I was like really of, of significant value. Like his name did not come up. Um, I'm sure teams called about him, but he didn't seem to be someone that the Knicks were willing to part with after that original like feeling out period. So I think that was more of a, let's put his name out there. Let's dangle him and see what intrigue we can come. We, we'll, we'll get back, see what level of intrigue is there about him around the league, see how he's valued around the league, get some other opinions and out, outside um, you know, evaluations and, and move forward from there. Um, and yeah, the guy can ball, but it's obviously been a challenge. And this is where I will defer to Jonathan to figure out exactly how to find minutes for him in this last couple of years of New York, having kind of a indirect, not exactly a straight line path at the point guard position, particularly, but in their backcourt overall. I mean, well, so a couple things for one, you know, I think it's it, the timing of this all is really important. And like you just said, I think by like the beginning of January, they weren't really talking about him anymore. Um, that would make sense because I mean, he's, he has played well really from the opening of the season, but from right around the middle of December until now. So talking about a stretch of at least two and a half months is when the shooting picked up and joined the other parts of his game. And since that time, since the middle of December, um, there hasn't really been much of a question about who New York's third best player is. Um, you know, third best, third most important, whatever you want to say. And it's been Emmanuel quickly. Um, and like, I, I get the, I get the questions about like where does he fit and this and that because even going back to last year, and this kind of gets into what you're just alluding to, and and it's it, you know it drove Nick fans up a wall. Like, there was an opportunity to play him, to start him, to play him big minutes, you know, when the Kemba thing clearly wasn't working out. And 
Um, you know, whether it was mostly Tibbs or partially Tibbs, partially the front office, I mean, who knows, but they were running Alec Burks out there as the starting point guard. Alec Burks is a nice player, but there was a very clear, obvious opportunity there to give the kid a shot, and they, for whatever reason, decided not to do that, waiting until literally the last game of the year to to, to start him at, at point guard. So, but I think what's nice about this season, and this kind of answers your question about, like, how they're going to give him or how they're giving him minutes I mean, anybody who's paying attention knows, I mean, he's been closing games. He's closed games, whether it's ahead of RJ, whether it's ahead of Grimes. But he's, I would say right now, after Randall and Brunson, he's Tom Thibodeau's next most trusted guy. And I, you could, I, I guess you could say Josh Hart's now kind of, you know, inched himself into that conversation as well since he got here. But, um, I mean, early on this season, I you know, he wasn't playing a whole lot alongside Brunson. I had heard that maybe... He wasn't, you know, thrilled with the idea of playing alongside Brunson. Um, now they play together a lot. They they play really well together. I mean, he functions in so many different roles for this team. And, like, you talk about what number might he get. Like, for me, if I'm his agent, and you know, this has been a topic amongst Knicks fans really over the course of the, today and, and over the past few days. Like, why not walk in there with, with, with R.J. Barrett's contract and be like, well, look, you gave, you gave this guy four years, um, 107 million fully guaranteed. And again, just comparing those two players this season, there's really not much of an argument. I mean, I guess you could say like maybe RJ still has the higher ceiling and there are certainly a lot of people who watch this team very closely and pay close attention to them that would say that RJ has the higher ceiling and I, you know, to each their own, but this season, um, it, it's it's been pretty decisive that quickly he's been the better player. Um, so like you know, there's the RJ contract, there's the Anthony Simons contract. Obviously, Simons is you know a bit more of a, a diverse scorer, but has some issues on the defensive end. Um, like those would be the numbers that I, I personally, if I was his agent, I would be trying to throw around comps for. Um, but you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see what what happens in the summertime. I think also. I mean, Tibbs has not exactly been willing and able throughout his career to just, you know, give opportunities to young guys. They've had to quote unquote earn it, if yeah. you will, and they definitely have to earn it on the defensive side of the ball. And that that was to me from conversations I've had, that's been that was his path into the rotation. Yep. Um and Fred Katz wrote a really great piece at the Athletic about just how much of a defensive chess player uh, IQ is, I mean, he also, I think the thing that is so fascinating about him is just how much fun he has on the floor. Oh yeah. Um, and it's funny, it's funny that him and Tyrese Max are going to be linked pretty much forever. Um, being that, you know, teammates at Kentucky, but you know, they're rookies of the same year and they've kind of been compared to each other, but they also, they both kind of have that boyish energy when they're out on the floor. Um, and that's what I think makes him pop through the screen and come across to fans in the stands more than the, more than the, the, the skill level. Um, and that's the type of stuff that ends up really generating star power. And I'm not, that's not to say that like, I man, it quickly is going to be an all-star one day, but like he's showing the, he's showing the flashes of it and teams, rival teams definitely look at players who are potentially going to be boxed in development curve wise in their current situations. And just having Jalen Brunson locked into this franchise where he is 
contract wise, his relationships top to bottom in the organization, the fact that just went and traded for his best friend and Josh Hart, like clearly Jalen Brunson is going to be the, the point guard of the present and future here in New York moving forward. So to Jonathan's point about them playing together and how much they can, they can and survive on that side uh, or, or survive on the defensive side of the ball with that uh, lineup will be, I think pretty telling once Brunson comes back on the floor, especially in the postseason. Um, especially with how much money is already out there to RJ because he was supposed to be – a lot of that money was supposed to be with the idea that he would be kind of like a an eraser and someone who could overcome and overcompensate for particular teammates' shortcomings on that side of the floor. I you mean, know, so. just real quick on the defense, uh, two really quick points. One, Heyman Brunson, I mean, look, take all the on-off numbers with a grain of salt, but they played together 870 minutes this year. They have a one one oh eight point four defensive rating in those eight hundred and seventy minutes, which is a number that's better go. than the league leading um Cavs. And just as far as the on off metrics, as far as defense specifically, among players this year, this is according to Cleaning the Glass, who have played at least twelve hundred non garbage time minutes, quickly has the single best on off um defensive differential in the league. How about the five players after him? Draymond Green, Nikola Jokic, Jaron Jackson Jr., Rudy Gobert, and Alex Caruso. Like, that's the company he's keeping when you're talking about defensive impact. So, like, the defense isn't a problem. It's it's really just, I think, a matter of what you were talking about. Like, does he believe that there is the path for him in this organization to get, you know, maybe the numbers and the accolades? Because, like, look, he's a team-first guy, clearly, but – you know, is you only get one chance at this career, and I'm sure he wants to maximize it. So, like, does he feel like that could happen here? I, I hope so, because, like, I know I speak for a lot of Knicks fans when I say we never want to see Emmanuel quickly in another uniform, that's for sure. Yeah, and to be clear about that defense stuff, I was talking about how will it look in the For sure, yeah. Which is going to be how how everyone in New York looks in the postseason is going to be just a massive – uh, benchmark and a tone setter for whatever decision making comes this summer. It's just that that's what the goal is. I mean this you know as well as anyone, Dean of Phil <laughs> School. Just getting to the playoffs isn't gonna be satisfying. It's at this not point. it'd be yeah. nice. No. And the owner it's been a the long, owner said as much. A few when he when he went on his little interview yeah. tour, you know, a few weeks ago. He you know, he 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 has expectations, which is fine. There you go. All right. My producer, Zach Nadu. What's going on, man? Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, before I ask my question, I just want to say thanks for the past year. Uh, by far the most popular sports show on Colin. So thanks for, you know, working with us, building building this out. Um, and I think you could kind of guess where my question's coming from. Jonathan, nice <laughs> to meet you. I'm a diehard Mads fan. Ah. So this has, been a pr- this has been a pretty painful season. Um especially as some one of the few people who thought Brunson should have gotten paid. Um, open-ended question. I don't know if there's actual insider information or just insights from y'all. It sounded like last summer the only thing that could have got Brunson to stay once it got pretty clear that, you know, he wanted to go to the Knicks was the Mavs paying him like five for 175. Even despite, like, how great he's been on the Knicks, do you still, like, agree with that decision to not pay him? that much money if you're the Mavs trying to build around Luka. Um, maybe I'm looking for some reassurance here, but uh, 
just want y'all's thoughts on just how much is Jalen Brunson worth and in the right context. It seems like he's been way better as a one than a two in, in an offense, like trying to play off ball with Luca. So curious what you guys think about all that. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, look, the guy won two national championships as the lead ball handler at Villanova. So clearly he has thrived in that, you know, floor general table setter position. And I've talked about this a lot. Maybe I've said it on this show in the past. Um, He's just a really underratedly skilled one-on-one scorer, especially, you know, when he picks up his dribble. Anyone who's watched this dude this season has really seen it. You saw it a lot in the Utah series last year. But just in a close space with pivots and head fakes and little shimmy shakes, the dude just has kind of an endless bag for someone who I think it's clearly been developed over time from being a, a, not exactly a plus athlete and someone who's pretty small in stature by all, by all you know comparative measures. Um, would he have been able to have reached these heights next to Luca? No. But all that being said, like Dallas would have been able to re-sign him if they were willing to put um, the full, whatever the numbers are, I forgot off the top of my head, on the table. It, 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 it was 5 for 175. So, so are you saying not, if they would have given... Not, not, not that, not that. The four-year okay. extension that he could have signed. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to say any specific numbers and get them wrong, but... If it, you, was, it, if it, it was it was four for fifty six. Yeah, uh, that was the extension last year. And they were not, by all accounts, they were not willing to go to that number. Um, and if they did, that he would have signed. It would have been sealed, delivered, done. And then the playoffs come around. He does what he does. New York clears the cap space that they're able to clear. And at that point in time, it seemed pretty clear that it was over and he was going to New York um, no matter what Dallas would have offered at that point in time. And I do think players across the board remember being shortchanged if they feel that way by their incumbent team where Gordon Hayward is the example that always comes to mind where the Hornet or the Jazz went out and told him back in 2014, um, you know, go get an offer sheet from somewhere else and then we'll match it. And that was the summer that LeBron went back to Cleveland, and he was the domino that was hanging over everything. And the Jazz were skeptical he'd be able to find a max contract because of that. LeBron and Gordon Hayward are obviously not the same player, but same position at that point in time of their careers. They're both primarily you know, wings and playmaking wings. Um, and Hayward got his offer from Charlotte, Um and then when he was able to become an unrestricted free agent, he left Utah for the second he could, basically. I mean, it's and it seemed like there was, you know, some some burned bridges happening in that process, um, if my memory serves correctly. So, um, yeah, I mean, was there any way to predict him having this level of success and flourishing to this degree and being an all-star caliber player? the moment that he got handed the ball to be a starting point guard? No, but there was also a ton of signs he was capable of doing this. He's not exactly James Harden and the Houston Rockets after leaving Oklahoma City. Um, it's but, not yeah, It's I, not that. I mean, he's not. No one will ever be that. But just in terms of, like, 
you do have to admit in terms of the increased production, just because when he had he had seen the seventeen game sample size last season plus the I think the three in the playoffs where he didn't play with Luca. And the playoffs are obviously where he exploded, but during the regular season it was it was twenty and seven during those games where where he was playing without Luca. So it was like, you know, very solid numbers. Um what he's doing this year, you know, like basically averaging thirty points a game since January first. I mean it's a too much sample size and even over the course of the full season. Um I I do think Zach though, the one thing I'll give you is like I think he works better as a co number one as opposed to a, a clear number two or even like a two a two B in like a heliocentric offense, which obviously anytime you have Luka Doncic, it's, it's going to be. Um, the one thing I will say for him, and uh, credit to my my Knicksville School colleague Benji Riddles because he wrote about this before the season. He's become such a more willing and able three point shooter, specifically uh, in terms of pull ups and like off the bounce. But, like, he's increased his three-point shooting per 36 minutes, 33% from from last year. He took 3.6 last year in Dallas. He's at 4.8 with the Knicks. And so I feel like if you're going to be more of an off-ball guy – and, like, look, he does share the court with Julius Randle, who, you know, I don't have to tell you, you know, does, does com- commandeer a lot of Knicks possessions. And he plays off of Randle really well. And, you know, the offensive numbers from the Knicks speak for themselves. So, I don't know. I, I'd be a little upset if I was a Dallas fan, but that's – obviously, I'm biased. Dallas fans are definitely upset. Zach can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed. So, Jonathan, thanks for the, uh, thanks for validating my concerns. But thanks, guys. We appreciate. It. Yeah, you got it, man. Thank you for everything along the way, my friend. It was, uh, it was a great run, Kevin. What's going on, my buddy, Kevin? Up, hey, man? John. So, first of all, uh, first time, long time. I uh, want to <laughs> know. I, I noticed that you didn't mention that Emmanuel quickly is not a future is a future All Star Hall of Famer. So I wanted to start off by asking why you hate Emmanuel quickly. <laughs> um, and uh, on a more serious note, I sort of um, I want to get and both of you. Uh, I'm not saying either of you have, have, have that don't have insight on the other end, but I kind of I was watching the Celtics last night. Obviously, as a huge Knicks fan, and um, there seems to be some consternation there. Uh, not that Tatum and Tatum and Brown played played all right. Brown played really well. Tatum not as well. Um, and I'm kind of wondering about uh, Jalen Brown's. Uh, I wonder. And I wonder if Jake could Jake could speak to Jalen Brown's status. Um, whether he might potentially be looking to uh, go somewhere else. And then John, in terms of obviously, we're really really happy with the team right now. But um, what his fit might be on a potential Knicks team? Um, Johnny, take it first. Um, I like Jalen Brown. Um, I think Jalen Brown. You know, my uh, shout out again to another KFS colleague, Andrew Claudio, has been uh, who's gotten himself uh, into an unhealthy addiction with advanced stats and specifically on-off numbers. He's been harping all year on the fact that the, the Celtics, so say the numbers at least, are a better team when um, Jalen Brown is not on the floor. And he has spoke to some Celtics people for our pod recently, and they talk about, you know, some, like, turnovers at inopportune times and, like, just, you know, things that are not as, as clean as maybe they could be. And, and sure enough, we saw some of those things in the game last night. Um, that said, like – 
this is just where I'm at at this point. First of all, I love the team right now, and I'm not even thinking about like that sort of move. But um, I, I do think it's important to find someone that is going to be able to fit snugly in between Brunson and Randall. And I don't know, like, if Jalen Brown wants, and, and Jake, you know, you can speak to this, God knows more than me, but, like, if Jalen Brown wants to leave Boston, you would think it's because he wants to be the guy, right? Like, be the man, have his own team, get out of being in, in Jason Tatum's shadow. And I wonder, at this point, is that the sort of player who would work well alongside Jalen Brunson and J- Julius Randle, not to say that those two players wouldn't be willing to share more of the spotlight. I, I think they would, but just from a logistical, practical sense, um, you know, I, I, I'm fond of saying this, this quote is, as Kevin knows, like someone's got to be Chris Bosh, right? Someone's got to be Kevin Love. Someone's, someone's got to kind of embrace that third banana. And, and this actually relates to what Zach was saying before, which is that, you know, Jalen Brunson is frankly just better in a role where he's got the ball more. Julius Randle, we know, is a guy who kind of, I think he embraces that. And, uh, you know, would he really be as effective as like a third option? So I I don't know. It, it's it's maybe not my favorite theoretical fit. Um, at the same time, like, if you could get Jalen Brown, probably go get Jalen Brown and worry about that stuff later. So... I pissed off a lot of Celtics fans last December saying that I thought that the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, one, two punch or, you know, reverse order that um, might have been running its course. That was when the Celtics were the 11 seed in the conference all the way into late January. And then they turned things around and went on a magical run all the way to the finals. We're up two one, two games away, two games away from the title. Um, In that finals, I think Jalen got exposed a bit as a ball handler, and he came back this season with an improved handle and improved ability to shoulder scoring stretches when Tatum was on the floor. Um, And look, this team, I I was in Philly for the big Sixers-Celtics game that Saturday night ESPN game. They came and played um, the Knicks uh, that Monday after, um, and I saw them – pregame and postgame um here and i'm not i'm not i'm not worried about boston in terms of anything other than robert williams's health that's the thing that's concerning to me about them now and in the future and that's why they are poking around yaka purdle at the trade deadline um and that's why they ended up going out and making that smaller move to get mike Pascala as insurance um because they are concerned about from everything I've heard, they are concerned about uh, his staying power, his ongoing injury history. Um, to me, when it comes to Jason and Jalen, like when Boston checked in with Brooklyn about Kevin Durant this summer, and look, every team had to have done that. If you did not call Brooklyn <laughs> after Kevin Durant, you were not doing your job to the nth degree that you are being paid to conduct, uh, you know, your services as the leader of your team's basketball operations. But when you are a team like Boston coming off the NBA finals with a young core that is in theory only growing and only getting better with opportunities to, to do that together, like that was a, 
I mean, clearly Brooklyn wouldn't have moved Kevin Durant without getting Jalen Brown back. And when his name was at least, you know, rumored and discussed and became public as a potential piece in that package, I know that that didn't, and Jalen didn't take that, uh, like he was taken, you know, off guard and the messaging that was sent out from his camp was pretty loudly that he does not want to leave Boston. He's happy in Boston, wants to keep growing this thing in Boston. So unless things have changed since then, where his response to being mentioned in that has been, I don't want to go anywhere else. This is where I want to be. I'm building with my brothers here. Like we're coming back to try to defend the Eastern conference championship and, you know, do this together. I mean, the, the Celtics are functioning as like a family unit right now. It's pretty Honestly, I mean, I go in locker, multiple team locker rooms pretty much every week, and I'm always kind of sussing out just general energy. And, I mean, the boss, the Celtics stood out to me. Um, like, it's such a cliche, corny buzzword to say, like, you know, I'm here with my brothers. We're, we're battling together. But, like, that was, the, that was definitely the tone and the energy I felt in Boston's locker room, even down to Peyton Pritchard and Blake Griffin, who are hardly ever playing. Like, this team is just moving in one direction towards trying to compete for a championship. Something would have to occur, I think, down the line here of the season, of the postseason, of an opportunity presenting itself, someone getting in his ear, someone wanting to recruit him to come play in a different scenario that, you know, piqued his interest. I'm not looking at Jalen Brown as a potential flight risk, as someone that could, you know, emerge in this off season as a, as a big piece that changes teams. But I also wasn't expecting Kyrie Irving to request a trade before the trade deadline. <laughs> and, you know, at that point we were prepared for Kevin Durant to ask out after that, but we weren't, you know, ready for that to happen a week before. So who knows what can happen, but all that being said, like I, I will, I will leave this and we'll, and we'll go back to Matt. Um, Who's back here, and hopefully we'll get you. Um, seems like his volume is working. Um, I, if I'm a Knicks fan, I would not be circling Jalen Brown as someone that I think we could end up landing this year. Um, I, I, he's, he seems pretty entrenched in Boston. For but you know there is a contract situation coming up for him as well, um, which like we talked about with quickly before, and like I've always say on this show. Um, the opportunity for a new deal always sets the tone for potential change. And Jalen be a free agent in 2024. And the way the league used to work is that you'd wait until you were about to be an expiring contract or deadline before. Um, so like next, next year's deadline for Jalen circumstances where you would start to like, Oh, you know, I'm going to put pressure now because I'm an expiring deal and you don't want to lose me for nothing. But now, Agents and teams are start starting to look at the thing like a whole year early. You see Dejounte Murray get traded two years before because San Antonio didn't want to be in a position where the Mavericks were with Jalen Brunson, where they were limited by CBA restrictions, pay him more than 120 percent raises and all that type of stuff, and they didn't want Dejounte to walk for nothing. If Jalen does end up signaling at a certain point in time, that's his plan. Could things happen? Maybe. And it's not something I'm looking at this summer at all. That 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 seems to be something that 
um, I think would happen more down the line if it ever were to, to rear its ugly head, let's say. Um, we'll go to Matt. What's up, Matt? Hey, Jake. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry I missed my shot earlier. You're good. By the time I realized you guys were calling for me, I was already scrambling for my phone and it was over. Uh, but I appreciate you guys having me on to have a question. Um, I wanted to talk about Mitchell Robinson because I think he's got, you know, I, I don't think he's gotten enough credit for, um, you know, turning around the Knicks as well during this win streak. I know Josh Hart gets a lot of love and rightfully so, but Mitchell Robinson coming back, I think it's been a huge, huge um, part of the Knicks' success. And this is kind of, you know, part asking about the league-wide and part philosophical, but I wanted to get your opinion on the league's thought of Mitchell Robinson's contract, that uh, four for 60 mil from back when Mitchell Robinson signed that contract and kind of to now, because the way I see it, um, you know, even in Knicks circles, we were thinking about, do we want to re-sign this guy last year? You know, we used the Robert Williams contract as a barometer at that point. I don't think Mitchell Robinson necessarily was showing enough to get that sort of Rob, uh, Robert Williams contract, but he did. Um, and I think the league has seen a little bit more of a devaluation of the center position, specifically around rim runners, who are a little bit limited offensively, but still have, you know, these elite traits and tools, whether it be rim protection or rebounding. So I guess I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, how the league sees that Mitchell Robinson contract now. And do you think, you know, some teams are kicking themselves for, uh, you know, missing out on a, on a guy like that with, you know, these elite skill sets when they could have signed him, maybe passed up on him for someone with a little bit less value, like a JaVale McGee, you know, for example, with a, the match. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, and then just for programming note for everyone, we'll take Matthew's question next. I'm going to go to Jake and then we'll call it because my girlfriend is finishing up making dinner <laughs> and it's just about that. That's um, important. So I do think that, around the league, people viewed Mitchell Robinson's deal at the time of it being signed as like a bit of an overpay. Um, that being said, it was primarily, I think, viewed from the lens of similar to Robert Williams that haven't been able to really count on him health-wise to be a consistent fixture of this lineup. Um, so that concern obviously hasn't been mitigated at all this season. Um, that being said, when he has been healthy, he has brought very consistent, you know, efforts on both sides of the ball of what he's built to do. Even last night um, when offense started to stagnate, I mean, he's still – when he runs up to the top of the key and he sets a screen and, and rolls to the hoop, like it's adding some type of pressure onto the defense that obviously alleviates some type of ball handling opportunity um, or pressure for whoever is with, I mean, at last, I don't remember seeing a, a, a Robinson Randall pick and roll at the end of, uh, I, I didn't watch the second overtime. Uh, I have to be honest. I turned it off and went to sleep. Um, but I do remember it, like, quickly calling them up and it was a different look and it's such a simple, basic observation to point out. But, um, I think at that going of a game where things have been nodded for so long and you're in overtime, there are, there's a drop off of like, if this big guy's charging up the key here, he's about to set a screen. Are we going to completely look at him as like a non-factor? Is this just someone that we're going to look at as he's coming up to draw a guy to force a switch? So our ball handler can attack him, or is he actually someone who out of this action can apply some added pressure onto the defense? He's definitely that guy. Um, and 
the league, to Matt's smart assessment, is definitely starting to have a reckoning of how to pay centers where, you know, is Isaiah Hartenstein really worth 10, 11, 12, 13 million dollars a year when you can find guys on a minimum that like Drew Eubanks in Portland, for example, that are not necessarily that far off. Luke Cornett in Boston from the typical mid-level salary type player. So the centers who are a little bit above that, a little bit above that salary threshold, um, but still provide a lot more. Um, and they are dependable. Those guys are worth that money. So to me, the, the question for me with, with Mitchell has always been just ever since he established himself that rookie season after being a second rounder, like, can he be someone that's going to be there night in and night out? That That's always been the complaint that I've even heard from, from Nick's people internally. Yeah, I mean, just briefly, you think you nailed it. Um, it's, been, it's always been consistency. You know, I brought it up on one of my post games this week. Um, like, we knew, like, three weeks into his NBA career, he had a game against the Magic where I think he had eight or nine blocks. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy can just do really special things. But – you know, whether it was fouls or whether it was defensive rebounding issues or um, just like kind of not like, you know, Knicks fans kind of got into the habit of knowing like, okay, we're getting a good Mitch game tonight or, oh, Mitch isn't bringing it tonight. Like, you know it within the first five minutes of watching the game. I think that started to turn around in a big way last year, um, but it's really, really come full circle this year. And I think it was pretty symbolic that he just had, for the first time in his career, four straight double doubles, and then he had another. He had one game without, and then he had another one um, last night against Boston. He the consistency has been there, and I think also you know you shouted out Fred Katz before. I'll, I'll shout out Fred Katz now. He wrote a great piece earlier this year in which he talked about how the Knicks have basically designed their team in a certain way. I don't want to say they designed it around Mitchell Robinson's strengths, but the fact of the matter is Mitchell Robinson is elite at two things, um, offensive rebounding and protecting the rim. And when you look at their defensive scheme, it, it, I mean, I don't, we don't, nobody who has ever watched a Tom Thibodeau defense, uh, do I need to tell like what, what kind of scheme they run and what matters to him? His rim protection is like so important to that, as well as his ability to cover um, just ground and multiple ball, ball handlers on the pick and roll, which Brett also wrote about recently. But even more uh, – specifically on the offensive end, his ability to grab offensive rebounds and with how often the Knicks, um, you know, take shots from Florida range and take shots around the rim and um, not just RJ Barrett, you know, Brunson and Randall too, and just letting Robinson go and clean all that up. Um, you know, they've, I think to your point about the money, they've, you know, maybe he, would he be worth this contract on every other NBA team? I don't know about that, but He's been worth it, and then some, I think, to the Knicks this year. Matthew, what's up? Hey, hey Jake. Hey, John. How you guys up, doing? Man? Yeah, quick question. I you guys got to run. Um, this pertains to Randall. Is there any way, like, in the off season, that the Knicks could probably look to trade Randall? I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to, but I'm just saying is they can investigate – like bringing in another star um, to team up with Brunson to try and get Randall off the team, maybe. Um, thanks, guys. Thank you, Matthew. I'm going to refer to you, John. That's something you would 
want them to look into? Uh, I was, I was, man, uh, again, I have to own up to uh, all, all my bad takes of the past, and it doesn't get much worse than my stance on Randall uh, last offseason, which is I was willing to attach, like, a protected first rounder to move off from him. Um, not that I didn't think he had it in him to have a rebound year, but to me, the risk outweighed, outweighed the reward. And um, I have come full circle again on, on Randall. He is, he, he's completely sold me with how he's approached this year. Um, you know, you wrote that fantastic piece uh, or had the fantastic interview, I should say, with him around the All-Star break. Thank I you. loved it. And just, you know, I, again, Knicks fans who've been watching this player and paying attention to this player and everything that he says and talks about it, you know, could read between the lines of that piece and you could – I could hear him, you know, like listening to his voice in post-game interviews, how he was talking to you and really just, you know, being very transparent, I thought, about how, you yeah. know, like, look, it didn't go great last year, you know? And uh, I knew I needed to, to fix that. And obviously his wife was a big part of that. And, like, kudos to both of them. But, like, to me, he's part of the foundation now. That's it. I mean, that like, who the hell knows what the Knicks are going to do. But my my own – from what I can glean from the outside looking in, to me it feels like if they were going to move on from him, they I I mean it would seem to have made sense that they would have moved on from him over the off season. And like I know uh, you know you were on with me with Ian Begley um, a, a few what was about a month ago, and like you know Ian has reported and he's never gotten into specifics about it, so I want to be very again in the spirit of don't aggregate this. Like, Ian's never gotten into specifics about it, but he has said we're, if things didn't turn around after, you know, he's mentioned that Mavs game, I think, the, where they got blown out right before the eight-game winning streak, that there would have been significant organizational changes, whether that was a new coach or something else. And he's never gotten into specifics about what the something else is. I have wondered if the something else was – them looking to get off Randall because like his numbers have been good all year, but like early on again, Nick fans no, I don't have to tell them. Like the first month, month and a half, his his impact was not where you wanted him to be defensively. He was just not defending anywhere near where where they needed him to. So that is something I wondered, but um, you know that's over three months ago now. Uh, things seem to be very different. So you know, yeah. All I'll say is that I don't think it will be off the table but I don't think New York will have a directive to try to move his contract. Um, those are very different things. And I think a lot of that will also be determined by who the Knicks think go out to add to this core um, and what the complementary, you know, ability will be, you know, a big reason and maybe the biggest reason why the Knicks did not ultimately splurge to the nth degree to get Donovan Mitchell was the thought of wanting to add more and not being able to, being asked to strap to do so, and the thought that maybe Donovan wasn't exactly like the bonafide number one that you go do that for. So if they do identify someone, if they do identify you know, this guy who is available and they want to go get him and Randall isn't going to be a complimentary piece that makes sense, I think that's on the table. But I, I don't think we're going to hear the Knicks are trying to find a new home. The, the Knicks are actively trying to, you know, scour the market to find a new home for Julius Randle. I, I, I'm not expecting that um, at this point in time. 
We'll go to Jake. The final question. Oh, please don't aggregate this. What better name to do it than with a guy named yeah. Jake? What's up? Oh, oh no. no. Jake, are you not there? That's honestly the best way that this could have happened. <laughs> yeah. Jake, I'm sorry. We're, we're, boot, we're booting you. John Macri, anything you want to plug, anything you want to say? That the floor is yours before we get out of here. Thanks again. I'll be man. brief. Uh, yeah, no, I'll just plug Knicks Film School. Uh, if you're a Knicks fan or you want to know more about the Knicks or uh, any anything Knicks related, just Knicks Film School podcast, Knicks Film School on YouTube, uh, Knicks Film School newsletter on Substack, and uh, yeah, for all your for all your Knicks needs, um, we have a great community and uh, a great amazing team that makes me look good somehow uh, day after day. So, and then uh, just. Thank you again. I don't know if I got a chance to properly do this last time, but I'll say again, just been the biggest of fan uh, of yours for a very long time. Um, like talk about the grind and how you've just continued to rise. And it's just like, I think any, any person who's ever written a word about the NBA or any sport or, you know, said one word into a microphone for a podcast or anything, um, looks at you as uh, an absolute inspiration, and uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, something's something's going to be on the docket next in terms of an audio format. I just I'll be eagerly awaiting to see what it is. It's like everybody else. Thank you, man. Very very kind of you to share. Um, that is probably too kind, but I appreciate it. Appreciate the support. Appreciate everyone who's tuned in here. It's been fun. It's been a great time. Um, I will say. The next thing that is on the docket is not a live audio format. Um, so the chance to speak to you guys um, is going away, which I'm sad about. But, you know, maybe come draft time, we'll throw on a Twitter spaces or something. Who's to say? Who's to say? I've really enjoyed this. It's been great um, for all the cesspool trolling stuff that happens on social media and whatnot. The questions here have always been super cordial and thoughtful and interesting. And for the regulars who have popped on here for the guests like John, it's been great uh, for everyone to call on. It's been awesome. Appreciate you guys. Um, enjoy the rest of the season. Enjoy the Knicks tape. And uh, we'll talk to you all when we talk to you. Adios. See you.